Welcome to TBT with Grace and Emma, a podcast on the millennial generation and how we came to be. On this week's episode, we discuss why millennials are crying at work. We try to decode our use of the word like, and we try to take credit for the Women's World Cup. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. Are we back? I think we might be back. Get out of here <laughs> with that. Hey, Grace. Emma. Emma. Hi. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been such a long time. <laughs> For those of you who follow my Instagram, I will be posting a picture of this closet, aka our studio. It has been transformed. It it's well, it I, I guess maybe it's more like it's um been neglected. In the time, <laughs> I don't know. I see like four new suitcases, a few <laughs> new pillows. It feels more intimate, shall we say? But also, I think the ceilings feel higher because the lofted suitcases <laughs> add perspective and demonstrate just how high these ceilings are. They like dwarf little Gracie in the corner. <laughs> It's like it's, it's like the Narnia closet, mm-hmm, never mm-hmm. ending. Yeah, no, there's an entire city behind this ladder. That's yeah, on the back of the closet. Talk about a TBT, am I right? <laughs> Remember that movie with the Turkish delights? I mean, uh, do you mean the book series? No, I mean the movie. Gotcha. I don't That's, think I ever saw the movies. Oh, I think but I, I read every one of the Did books. Did you? Yeah. Uh, so great. Me and me and Tumnus go way back. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> hi. Uh, where have we been? Um, we've been working so hard, super hard. We are millennials, and we work hard. Emma moved. Oh, maybe you had already moved. Yeah, girl. I moved in March. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 So, so uh, Emma's still in that same <laughs> apartment that you all are very familiar with. Yep. Still. Still paying. Still paying a good chunk of rent. What else has changed? Um, well, we traveled a lot. We did. Oh, that a was lot was thing. for work. So, okay. So to be clear, we sort of like unexpectedly realized after our last episode that we had between the two of us just so many personal and work related trips that like literally we were not in the same place for a weekend for like a consecutive six or eight weeks. Yes. And it was like when we were in the Bay Area, we were like in between trips and it just felt like doing the pod, doing the pod felt really tough logistically. Yep. So we took an unanticipated break. A little hiatus. A little hiatus. Thank you so much for your patience. Yeah. And for being, um, respectful of our summer break yeah <laughs> shall we say yes could we say that this is this this is season two? Oh my gosh <laughs> wow season two season two of tbt in a new studio a newly revealed revitalized studio yep i actually added all of this stuff to get better sound quality ah uh, yeah yeah hopefully the listeners notice yeah great that's why I started hammering egg cartons to the wall. <laughs> oh my god! There's no <laughs> egg cartons. Give me two highlights from the past six weeks. Um, the first I kind of spoiled already, but um, I told Emma that I have been practicing German using Duolingo, so I feel like that has been a, a big highlight for me. Is it inappropriate if I ask you to say something in German? Nein. Oh come um, on, do more than that. Uh, my name is Grace. I come aus New York. Nice. Bis, bis später. 
Bis später. That means see you later. Ah, I like that. I'm going to start Hello. using that. <laughs> it's yeah. not funny. It's a real <laughs> Um, okay, so you started learning German. What else? Yeah, give me and one then more. The other highlight is that um, since we saw each other last, I got um, status on Alaska Airlines. Get the fuck out of here! And I actually got upgraded to first class on a flight, a cross, what cross country flight? Yeah, yeah. And I sat next to one of the guys that invented the uh, grocery store scanner. Wow. Like the laser scanner. Wow. He was an Oscar winner. It was everything that I would hope from a first class experience. You turn and like Bill Murray is next right. to you. <laughs> you slow, slow turn of the head and he looks over over his paper and just gives you a little wink and then disappears. <laughs> I wish. It was just like, you know, tech people traveling across the country. From yeah, that makes How sense. How about you? Two highlights. Good question. The first highlight, I would say, is... Um, I am not prepared for this question. You you asked it. I know. I'm really good at asking people questions like icebreakers and then not coming up with my own. I will also say, as an introvert, I love to prepare, and I just want to pat myself on the back for having a really quick and good response. You're so right. Um, I got to go to the beach. That was actually a big highlight. Which beach? <laughs> oh, which beach you ask? <laughs> I went to a small beach uh, in lo- the in Long Island. Strong Island. In, lo- in Strong Island. Nice. Yeah. How's she doing? Oh, she looks great. People have so, I I went to the Hamptons. You got it. The Hamptons. People have such insane reactions to that. Like, mm-hmm. I spent the week before working out of our New York office, and people asked me what I was doing for the 4th of July, and I did that really annoying thing that I actually make fun of other people for doing, which is I tried to, like, be coy, and I was like, I'm going to the beach, and then they'd be like, what beach? And I'd be like, a beach on Long Island, and then they'd be like, we're on Long Island, and then I'd have to be like, fuck, I'm going to the Hamptons. And then everyone, except for one person, every single person would have some sort of, like, oh, oh you're going to the Hamptons. Yeah, except instead of that accent, it often was a British accent. Oh, Like, people associate it with, like, hoity-toity, high-class, whatever. Got it. But I just want to shout it out and say, like, listen, if you book your Airbnb enough, far enough in advance and get a lot of people in on it, like, I don't know, call me bougie, but, like, it was great to be in Sag Harbor. Were there, like, millennial pool floats of note? Oh, there was a donut in the ocean. There you go. Yeah. But it wasn't very, like, millennial millennially. It, it was very, like, Sag Harbor, for those of you that don't know, is a part of the Hamptons that's actually traditionally an African-American vacation spot. So a lot of the families are, like, intergenerational, mostly African-American, and that was primarily who was there. Got it. And so we were, like, the, the, the white millennials that were lucky enough to... Be able to sit on the beach and catch some rays. Nice. Yeah. The very millennial thing that we did do was we drank a lot of White Claw. And when I say we, I mean the people I was with. I was like, I don't touch that shit. The (laughs) ironic thing is (laughs) I'm holding a Bon and Viv spiked seltzer in my hand right now. What? Is that what White Claw is? It's like a spiked seltzer Oh, it's like the direct competitor to the Bon and Viv that we are currently sipping. Got it. Got it. I did hear that, um, like carbonated beverages both supply and demand is at an all-time high right now Hmm. alcoholic or not interesting in case in case there's any seltzer heads out there (laughs) (laughs) 
man. All right. What was the second highlight? The second highlight of the past six weeks was going on a hike. There was this one day when I went on a hike in Marin, and then I went to Hog Island Oysters. Oh, my gosh. I have been talking Tony's ear off about Hog Island Oysters. That place is so good. Have you been? Yes. And has he been? No. Okay, we got to go. I know. Let's do it. Let's Emma, just- it's... I, I, Tony, Tony's folks are going up tomorrow. Oh, they are? But apparently they don't like oysters. They're, they're like going up the coast. Oh. But I was like, you should go to Hog Island. Their oysters are so good. Raw oysters, cooked oysters, all of it. Yeah. Delicious. Also bougie. Also yeah. millennial. Yeah. Um, we should, after the pod, we should just make a resi. Great. Great. Done. I'm on board. Great. If you will drive. Definitely. Presumably. Definitely. Okay. Great. Done. All right. Uh, I guess the <laughs> podcast's over and uh, <laughs> we've got stuff to do. Um, all right. We want to get into it. Let's get into it. So since we saw each other last, um, you know, millennial stuff has come and gone. Yeah. The the email bo- inbox got full of some Google alerts. And so I just wanted to do a rapid fire quiz to catch you, Emma, up as well as our audience on all of the quick millennial news that we've missed over these last few weeks. Awesome. During a hiatus. Hiatus. You ready? Yep. Um, and um, let me generate some unnecessary and um, inconsequential tension. Uh! All right. Quickly. What pious profession has been on the rise for millennials after 50 years of decline? Appraisers. Is that pious? I don't know what pious means. Oh, then, girl, you are not pious. SAT You are not pious. Academia? No, it's like uh, religious. Oh, being a pastor? No, being a nun. What? Yes, nunhood. Nunship? Nunhood. Anyway, it's on the rise. There's no time to explain, but anyway, it's increasing. <laughs> Wait, I have a comment on that. Keep going. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to nuns. All right, Girl Boss, yeah. a media startup from Nasty Gal founder Sophia Amoruso, launched a web app branded as this social media site for millennial women. LinkedIn. Yes. Oh, God. According to a Rhode Island publication, millennials are apparently getting really into beverages without this in it. Corn syrup. No. Oh, that's a good guess. Lemon. No. Coloring. Close. Alcohol. What? Apparently... (laughs) I I disagree. Apparently millennials are into beverages that don't have alcohol in it. Okay, this like this is like <laughs> typical like local small town newspaper being like we just need to generate clickbait. Americans between the age of eighteen to thirty five have an average net worth of how much money? Eighteen thirty five an av- average net worth of one trillion dollars. No, sorry, like individuals have oh. an average net worth. <laughs> one trillion dollars. Um, fifty grand. $8,000. Shut the fuck up. Millennial... We're worthless. <laughs> Literally. I mean, there's 18-year-olds in there, but still. Millennial dads have been found to lack skills in this. Building things. Yes, DIY. Mm. Well done. According to a national psychiatric center, doing the laundry is listed as one of the top 10 contributing factors 
to this. Depression. Close. Anxiety. It's, mole- it's usually branded as millennial blank. Burnout. Yes. Oh my God. Wait, I was so Doing much the to say. I struggle. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Well done. You oh, did You did really well on this quiz. Thank you. I think I'm, I'm also getting better at asking questions that are like not too easy, but not impossible. Yeah, I think those were also good. We have some hangers that are clinking. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I just want to make sure. Guys, guys, <laughs> chill out. Chill out, guys. <laughs> chill out. Uh, um, our soundproof studio is yeah. <laughs> a work in progress. So tell um, me about laundry. Okay, I have a couple things to talk about. Okay. First of all, the nun thing. Yes, nuns. Um, uh, two things. One, there was that article about how millennials are living in nunneries. Is that what they're called? Monasteries because they can't afford rent. Mm. Two, I feel like there was this that whole in that series Fleabag. There mm-hmm. was that whole like revisiting of like what does it actually mean to like to dedicate Catholic. yourself to oh, yeah, like, Catholicism yeah. and whatever. Totally. Okay, that's the two things about nuns. Um, the third thing is like I totally. <laughs> I totally get it. Like, fuck it. Like, at a certain point, it's just like, fuck it all. I'm going to join the nunnery. Mm. That there's actually considerable peace that you can get from removing yourself intentionally from... All of it. From all of it. From the gram and the Tinder and the Facebook and the bar hopping and the hangovers. Just go live in a nunnery. Yeah. Although they probably still have hangovers there. I'm pretty sure they can drink. And maybe I also not. think maybe we were all raised on Sister Acts 1 and 2. And <laughs> want a little taste oh my of... God. little Just a little taste of that life. Yeah. Want to channel their sister, Mary Clarence. <laughs> anyway, that's all that millennials have been up to this summer. That's great. You know yeah. what... You know what article I thought about? What? This Fast Company article that I read. Tell me. People are crying at work a lot. What did they say? Well, so the Fast Company article was basically like, a lot of people are crying at work. Yeah. And here are the stats. 83% of workers say they experience stress on a regular basis. 16% report extreme stress. Damn. The highest levels of extreme stress are Gen Z, low-income earners, and those from densely populated areas. So Gen Z is getting in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, 50% miss at least one day of work because of stress at the office. That's Gen Z and millennials mostly missing. And um, 48% of people have cried at work. 36% of men acknowledge that they cried at work. Mm. Um, so here's my point. My point is... We need to, like, take care of our people at work. And mm. I think that, like, all this, like, pandering to millennials is actually just, again, aligned with this idea that, like, for a very long time we treated people as if, like, they were supposed to be, supposed to be these, like, robotic mm-hmm. machine-type workers. But when we do that and we, like, r- remove the humanity, we actually just induce a lot of stress and people end up, like, having really serious emotional breakdowns. Right. And if I could reframe it, what an advantage that companies have individuals on their team. Like there is statistics that are like sort of research that's been done that demonstrates that millennials care a lot more about this sort of social impact Mm. of their employers and wanting to know that the place that they work for is doing good in the world. And I think as a result, people both include work as a big part of their identity not just because they spend a lot of their time there and like a lot of their mental energy outside of work thinking about work as well 
72%, I think, of folks on that burnout survey, that was the number one thing. But I think that the cause of that is that folks feel a tremendous amount of investment in the work that they're doing, mm-hmm. which is a really powerful tool mm-hmm. for employers. Employers need to leverage the deep commitment that folks are demonstrating. That's, to me, what the crying signals, not just sort of the economic stress, but also the immense amount of responsibility that people bring to their work. Totally. Totally. Have you cried at work? Um, yeah. 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 Um, I can only think of one time at this most recent job, but in my last job, I cried a lot. Yeah. I cried a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I cried a lot when I was teaching, and your last job was working directly with, with students. students. Yeah, totally. There's something about, like, working with other people, particularly mm-hmm. people who, like, are not necessarily privileged in the system, so mm-hmm. everything feels really high stakes. Yes. Because it is. Yep. And when you're part of that, you know that even the smallest of errors mm-hmm. can really disadvantage someone. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure. And yeah. then, yeah. Like, in my current job, I think I... Hmm, I definitely cried about work in my job, mm-hmm. at my outside of work. Mm-hmm. But only a few times. Oh, outside of work. No, I've definitely cried oh, outside yeah, of work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I, yeah, and, I, and I, I totally agree. I think it'd be interesting to see for folks who work in direct service what the percentage difference is, as well as it makes a ton of sense that folks who are... Um, like from disadvantaged socioeconomic backgrounds are experiencing higher rates of stress and crying because the stakes are higher mm-hmm. for your professional life. And mm-hmm. so if your security is tied up in your employment uh, at that particular job, then of course the stress is just through the roof mm-hmm. in ways that folks just can't understand, like don't experience in other roles. Mm-hmm. Damn, dude. Damn, dude. So I think what we've decided is that this is certainly a problem. We need more support groups. We need more support and that it's a important signal to employers mm-hmm. to be a, who have to have a vested interest in tapping into that kind of responsibility. Mhm. Yeah. And to just take care of your people. Yeah. And like avoid avoid the trope or the ideology that like people are machines or emotion is separate from work Mm -hmm. and efficiency and success is dependent on compartmentalizing your emotion because otherwise you just have a breaking point totally yeah and that like have asking for those things is not entitlement so much as the opportunity to maximize someone's talent on a team Mm mm-hmm yeah Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. I also, like, I'm sorry to, like, bring something, like, kind of down. I've also been, like, because I got it, and I was, like, yeah, I'm, like, stressed. Mm. Like, I'm stressed out at work a fuck ton. Mm. And part of it is that I work in a work culture that is stressful. Like, Mm -hmm. it's very go, go, go. We're a startup. We're not yet, like, in a place where people can, like, sit comfortably. Mm -hmm. Things feel very, like, very imminent. Right, right. But also it's like, why does it have to be this so emotionally draining and Mm -hmm. exhausting? So I just want to, like, normalize that. Because I think for me, at least, it's helpful to just talk about it. Yeah. Uh, Does this job as a podcast host, does this make you cry? No. 
Do you think that's okay? I think it means that you don't care enough. Yeah, I think you're. <laughs> I don't give or a that shit. we're really good employers of one another. Yeah, we have a because... strong human resources department. <laughs> oh, uh... man. Um, All right. Can we talk about the word like? Oh my God. It's my favorite word. Sorry. So um, this comes from some feedback that uh, my number one listener brought to my attention, which is that um, Corey, my mother, was concerned that we are using the word like too much. Mm hmm. And it made me think immediately about how much our generation has integrated that word into our conversations, into our way of speaking. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to sort of think through, like, why do we fill a space with like? Why are we using it? Listen, I re like. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it being such a big deal and teachers in elementary school middle school pointing it out mm -hmm. i don't know it is part of the language it's so integrated i don't even notice it anymore i notice it if people use it excessively and especially in like professional or more formal environments mm -hmm. but i really don't notice it in other people mm. um and i don't notice it in myself so i'm so sorry Corey. i i really appreciate the feedback it's like such a habit and such a tick and it it just feels part it just feels like part of the sentence what well, i was gonna say do you are you sorry for it i don't think so i'm sorry for the fact that it is it comes with such negative connotation hmm. that many people view it as you not being as eloquent as you could be or not like taking care with your words mm. or being sort of like casual showing up to the white linen restaurant wearing your floral H&M Hawaiian shirt <laughs> which is what I'm wearing I but I don't I don't apologize for it because it just feels really authentic to mm. who we are yeah well and I think about the many I don't know, even um, cultural, I think of Clueless and other sort of mm -hmm. cultural um, ways of capturing how we speak. And it almost feels like this familiar, um, common, shared language. Mm -hmm. And I know that even my dad will pick it up. He works with a lot of millennials, and I think as a part of that, he will... he not apes it, but, like, picks it up and integrates it into his own language sometimes. And I think almost as a part of it, the, qu the question I have is, are we denigrating it because it is a signal of your age group? Because I think it is reflective more of a millennial age group and potentially younger. Or is there a real issue with the space that we try to fill because... We are reliant on um and like to communicate our perspective. Like, is it a crutch or is it a common... A uh, cute little... Unifier. Yeah. Or is it both? I, I mean, don't, they're not mutually I don't exclusive. even know that I use it when I'm thinking of 
when I'm when I'm struggling to think of words, it's just I truly think there's things that I say where it's just part of the sentence. Mm-hmm. It's just part of what I say. Mm-hmm. And I also think part of it too is that for me, I use it a lot because I'm also not someone who always communicates in very direct mannerisms. I mm. use a lot of like softening language. Like, for example, things <laughs> things like, I'm wondering if, or mm. what do you think about this? Or, um, you know, like I have a tendency to add a lot of words to my sentences as opposed to being very concise and direct. Mm-hmm. And that is how I speak and that's how I communicate. Mm-hmm in a written language mm-hmm. and I think like is part of that mm-hmm. it helps me soften my language and makes me feel comfortable with the way I'm communicating yeah so almost it is a mechanism through which you're able to be direct in a way that doesn't have to feel aggressive or doesn't have to feel overly um, sharp yeah And I think it's a connector. Like, when I'm speaking with people who I'm, like, if I'm speaking with people who I'm building a relationship with and I'm trying not to, I'm 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 trying to relate, Mm -hmm. I will use the word like. I will also, like, swear intermittently because I find it to be comfortable Mm -hmm. and I also find it to be, like, an, an indication that I don't take myself too seriously is how I'm, like, trying to kind of convey myself. I think the swearing thing is such an interesting analogy, an analogy, like analogous language, right? Because it doesn't necessarily communicate any additional detail, but it is a way of communicating with people that feels that by using it communicates a level of casualness Mm -hmm. and connectivity. Yeah, I agree. I think that's so interesting because I also think so much before I speak. And I will say, you know, at times I use like a lot. Mm -hmm. But I spend all of this time crafting language in my head before it comes out of my mouth. And I also really appreciate qualifiers, curse words, things like that, that try to cover up how much I have thoroughly considered what comes out of my mouth. Mm. Because? Because I think that comes out as robot, more robotic and Mm -hmm. less accessible. Less authentic, perhaps? Less authentic. And we know how much we value authenticity. Right. Right. And you build space when you, when you use that language yourself, you build space for them to bring whatever language they want to the table as well. Yeah, talking to you sort of like to democratize language in a way. Yeah, that's another thing is I think part of it is like no matter your education, no matter where you're from, no matter your background, Mm -hmm. like is pretty universal in our generation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's also a unifier to go back to your original question. I learned an interesting statistic that said that people trust leaders who swear Mm. more than people who don't. And I think. There's obviously a fine line in that. And I think also when we see how how the problematization... Is that word? <laughs> Problematization. Problematization. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Of like this idea... Oh, sorry, guys. The, <laughs> my Bonnie Viv just got excited. <laughs> um, of, the, of that language has led to things like our president 
mm. saying things that are like quite inappropriate, but mm. people are like, it's authentic, it's like from the heart, or mm. whatever. Um, but I do like that, that people trust leaders who swear, because I agree that I think like the authenticity that comes with the ability to use non-substantive words in order to capture an emotional effect mm -hmm. is, I think, really important. Because I think it goes beyond this idea that like your vocabulary or your you, the way you portray yourself is based on like the extensiveness of your vocabulary. And it's like, at the end of the day, sometimes you just need to say shit because mm. like we all kind of know what you mean by that. It's not actually the literal meaning, but it's the, it's the emotional meaning behind it. And mm -hmm. that's like getting to the human the human connectivity that comes with communication. Do you feel like, do you feel as though, <laughs> um, <laughs> curse words add a, a forcefulness and like adds a softness? I'm just thinking like, oh, we want our leaders to curse. And to me, that's like a, like a force, mm. right? Of like, fuck, right? Of, you know? <laughs> And if we use like, it almost has the opposite effect of softening and qualifying and, um, you know, smoothing out the edges of your sentence. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I also think part of it is like people, people interpret those things in different ways. My mom mm. has a huge aversion when I curse mm. and I'm like, mom, it's not like, it's not a big deal. Mm. And she's very like, you know. Speaking of someone taught by the nuns, she's like, that is bad. <laughs> Three oh wraps on the knuckles for you. Watch your mouth. I, now I'm starting soap. to think that, that uh, you know, monasteries are going to be a lot more and more like Sister Act. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of cursing nuns out there. Um, okay, I have one more thing to add, and then do you want to go to TBT? Yeah. Is that, does that sound good? Yes. Okay, great. Um, the only other thing I want to add is I'm here to announce that um, there is an exhibit in <gasps> Jack London Square called 90s Experience. Have oh you heard of God. this? No. And you literally buy tickets to just, like, revisit the 90s. It says, celebrating all things 90s. So I have not been. I need to check out, like, ticket prices, but... Um, I'm I'm stoked. And I think there's a lot of nostalgia happening. I think we should go and um, we should provide like an update. I think so too. Do you think the pod will sponsor us? Um, I'll talk to the CEOs <laughs> and see if they would maybe uh, chip in. Do you think Bonnie Viv, Bonnie Viv, <laughs> Bon and Viv will sponsor it? I love that you went right for the French Bonnie Viv. Well, I got to counter your German with something. We can't, I can't be like the <laughs> dumbass American over here while you're like becoming more and more multicultural. Uh, Alemania. Oh, Do you know um, that's how you say German in Spanish? Alemania. Yeah. Except I think that was an Italian accent. Alemania. I wonder how they say Spanish in German. <laughs> Spanish. God, that sounds like Sean Connery. Spanish. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I do have one millennial in politics update. Oh, yes. This is old, so forgive me. This was something I pulled out right at the end of season one. Old news. Um, but Michael Tubbs, who's the mayor of Stockton, we, who Emma and I have met. We love Michael Tubbs. We've had the pleasure of meeting him. He's 28 um, and the youngest mayor ever elected to Stockton 
um, mayorship. He the has, youngest mayor ever elected to a city <laughs> over two hundred thousand people. I think that's incredible. Anyway, what a what a man. What a guy. Um, he is pushing and succeeding in providing some of the city uh, citizens of Stockton um, universal basic income. Ayo, come on. That's what you. That's what happens when you put millennials in office. I know we all get richer. Yeah. So anyway, just excited to provide that little update on on him and the work that he's doing in, in the East Bay. All right. TBT. All right. TBT. Yay! I've been. I have a list now, so I'm very prepared today. Oh yeah. So I will go first. Okay. Okay. Um, mine is, uh, I want a TBT, I want to throw back to when we used to bedazzle our belly buttons. Oh. Like, I was looking through some old, you know, late 90s, early 1000s fashion, and it's the kind where, like, we obviously, you know, people put tattoos around their belly buttons, but there was also a time where you wear a crop top, and then you sort of bedazzle a design around your belly button. Wow. Yeah. Does that not ring a bell? Um, I think I like am familiar with it, but it mm-hmm. sort of just reminds me of like stick on earrings, but for your belly yes, button. Yes, exactly. Right? That's fun. Yeah. What were some of your designs? I mean, I, well, I didn't do it. Um, there's no way I would have ever left the house in a crop top. Corey would not have gotten down with that. But Ooh, if Corey could see you now. <laughs> just walking out. <laughs> just no shirt on, actually. Um... <laughs> Uh, no, um, like, like kind of like a sun or yeah. just sort of like a flower design around it. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Anyway, I want to throw back to that. What's Aww. yours? Mine is to the concept of the, um, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yep. Which like took us by storm. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I think, because of the movie Garden State that came out in like 2004 or so. Um, what a concept it was. Mostly applied to white women. Yep. Um, usually women who were, like, on the thinner side and whatever. But it was this concept that, like, there was this girl out there who was going to, like, be spontaneous and kind mm-hmm. of, like, take you by surprise. And she was going to be quirky. Mm-hmm. And she was going to be funny and do weird things in public. And she wouldn't be embarrassed about it. And mm-hmm. then you, of course, as the straight male protagonist, would get caught up in her whirlwind and fall in love with her. Right. And then one of two things would happen. Um, she would either, like, leave you and you would be like, oh, where did you go? Or you would break up and you would be like, now it's time for me to grow up. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, that's so real. That's so true. And actress Zoe Deschanel is, of course, like the epitome of the manic mm-hmm. pixie dream girl. Um, she plays in a folk band. She usually plays the ukulele. Um, I feel like Shailene Woodley is almost like the manic pixie dream girl. Well, it's kind of like it. Yeah, it's more it, hippie. Yeah, there's not a ton of depth to the character beyond what she does in service to the male lead. Yeah. Right. So, like, 500 Days of Summer or um, Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is often identified as one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just sort of someone with, like, a, a woman who truly just sort of acts to sexually inspire men on their personal journey. But I think it was also, like, in response to kind of we were coming off of, like, 
the Britney Spears pop, like, over-sexualization of women, Mm -hmm. where, um, and that was epitomized by, like, the sexualization of women with, like, Baywatch and the Spice Girls and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera or whatever. And then there was this sort of, like, I'm so quirky, I'm gonna, like, jump off this roof into this pool and, like come out of the water and open up my big brown eyes that look at you and you're going to immediately realize you're in love with me and then I'm going to run away into the woods and you can't find me. Mm-hmm. And that's a manic pixie dream, girl. She's just a dream. Is she or is she reality? We'll never know. This is one of those TBTs that, like, we can throw back and she can just, she can stay, she can stay in the TBT. Yeah. You know? Bye, girl. We don't need you. We need, like, authenticity and reality. We, we need, need people that say like. swear. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, god damn it. Fuck. <laughs> people don't say god damn it. Shit, fuck. Sorry, for swear. I don't know why. My mom is going to be, like, oh, really Corey, all I can in hear, my... I can hear right. the tapping of Corey's key, keyboard keys as she writes me a strongly worded <laughs> note. <laughs> um, oh, okay, just one more thing before we sign off. Yes. Let's hear it for the millennial women that won the Women's World Cup. Hey, hey, come on. Wow. All of them millennials. Yep. All of them. Everyone. Every single gosh darn, darn <laughs> woman who won the Women's World Cup was a millennial. Even Megan, who was an older millennial. Mm-hmm. But not really. She's like mid-range. She's 33. 34? She's, she's definitely a millennial. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, millennials. Thanks, team, for bringing us victory. We're proud of you again. Proud to proud proud to be a part of the same cohort. Yeah, all those fourth grade soccer games on Saturday mornings. Oh yeah, I like to think that like we all kind of like contributed. To, I think yes, I think so. Someone had to play on the <laughs> field with Alex Morgan in order for her to become a soccer star. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. I did my time in 1999, and then I said, adieu. Yeah. How do you say it? Bonjour. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. What is see you later? Bis, bis später. Bis später. Bis später. <laughs> bis später, Alex Morgan. Next thing you know, she's fucking at the World Cup. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, you're All welcome. those millennial women grew growing up playing soccer. We did this. We did it, Emma. We did this together. We did it. The Blue Dolphins <laughs> of 1998. We were the tornadoes. Oh, yeah. that was a popular one. And they told Actually, us we looked like a tornado because we, we would follow the ball <laughs> around the court just like a clump. Except for me. I was sitting on the grass yeah. like, watching the flies go by. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, all right, we, we walked. We walked slowly across the pitch so that more, <laughs> so that Megan could run. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Thanks, Grace. Thanks, Emma. See you all in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight. Happy summer. Bis später. Bis später. <laughs> <laughs>